Oh, hi, I didn't see you there. Thanks for joining us. Welcome to Historic Notions, the podcast where we explore the clothes and characters of the past. (laughs) We're your hosts. Uh, I'm Meredith. And I'm Sam. Um, And this episode, we're going to bring you part two of The Wives of Henry VIII. So before we get into it, um, Sam, I recently heard that your house is haunted. Oh, yeah. Do you want to share a little bit about that we with just, our listeners? We just recently realized that maybe our house was haunted because the lights flickered a little bit. And I think that we finally we finally got off the waiting list and now we maybe have our very own haunting. I mean, yeah. Like yeah. the lights are flickering. What other the information Wi-Fi went do you out. need? The Wi-Fi went out. Yeah. You have a black cat. I do. I'm burning black candles. Wow. Yeah, yeah you are. So. All the it's pieces all are there. Yeah. It was just Halloween. It's a little late, but, you know, it's okay. I was told that our house is haunted, but I don't think it is. I don't think your house is haunted. Did I tell you about the psychic I met? <laughs> that said that a little boy followed you around? Well, yeah. that's <laughs> So she said we have two hauntings. One is that I am personally haunted by the ghost <laughs> of a little boy. So that's not our house. It's just me. <laughs> Which Maybe like, that's why everything you grow dies. I mean, maybe. <laughs> I always thought that was just me, but could be. Yeah, it could be that I'm personally haunted. That little boy is just peeing on it. Can I tell you, I was so scared. I met this woman in a bar and I was so scared to go to the bathroom after that because I was like alone and like in the stall and I'm like, <laughs> is there a ghost in here with me? <laughs> like how far do they, do they wait outside for you or do they like right. come right there with like they're just right, right there with you the I don't, whole time? I don't know. They know everything. It was really scary. <laughs> um, but yeah, she also said that our house was haunted by a ghost that was not a member of our family and okay. that we should like burn candles and turn all the lights out so that they kn- can see and they know how to leave our house. I'll we do did- that for you anytime. I mean, this was like five years ago and we still haven't done that. So maybe, maybe we should. Good roommate. I mean, look, if our house is haunted, our ghost is quiet because <laughs> I have not found any proof other than this woman in a bar in Canada telling me <laughs> that my house was haunted. Do you think she does that for everyone? Do you think she just goes around being like, ooh, I mean, you're haunted. If I was a self-proclaimed psychic, that's exactly what I would do. So mm. I can't, I couldn't blame her if that was the case. Right. I, yeah. um you know who was not a self-proclaimed psychic one Anne of Cleves if she was she would have stayed right the fuck in Germany (laughs) (laughs) probably Uh, should we get into it actually maybe not maybe she would have come anyway I mean she made out pretty good in the end so yeah yeah maybe tell me about your girl all right so before we continue with our saga um (laughs) let's recap a little bit in case anyone didn't listen to part one Please listen to part one. It won't make sense if you don't listen to part one. It will. But just in case. This is really an investment for like the 20 people that are (laughs) 
They're like, oh, it's episode two and we already have to listen to another one. (laughs) (laughs) And it's like 70 minutes. (laughs) You're welcome. (laughs) So in part one, um, Sam told us about Catherine of Aragon and Anne Boleyn. Um, Catherine of Aragon, what I gathered from your description is that um, she was a war hero heroine. Um, she wore beautiful, sumptuous fabrics. She loved um, needlework, and specifically, she made black work really popular in um, the English court. She gave birth to Mary the First. She was awesome, and then Henry got tired of her and um, asked for a refund after 24 <laughs> years of marriage. And you also told us about Anne Boleyn, who paved the way for all of these other future queens, That's right. was the inspiration of Greensleeves, was um, debatably one of the most powerful women of all time. Yeah. Does for- that sound right? Is there anything you yeah. would like to add or change? No, I think that was great. It was great. and what was your takeaway from jane seymour jane seems like she was nice she was a nice girl and um she had some some really amazing uh portrait work done of her she obviously was a huge favorite of henry's for multiple reasons the main one being that she finally gave him the male heir that he so desperately wanted. And, um, yeah, I guess she just seems like the most quiet of the bunch. Mm. Like, she was... Of, certainly like of the ones we've girl. covered. Yeah, yeah, like a good girl. Yeah, I would agree. Yeah. Yeah. And where we left off was her um, sadly dying right yeah. after childbirth. Um, we left Henry depressed, gaining weight... Um, making unhealthy choices, struggling with his um, things. <laughs> <laughs> Lots of things. Well, the leg thing. The, oh, his the ulcers. ulcers. <laughs> <laughs> his things. <laughs> yeah. Edit, edit. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, his um, ulcers were a huge problem, and and I yeah. it, it was written that they smelled. <laughs> yeah, so he was like kind of like a big stinky grumpy oh, guy. No. and yeah, definitely grumpy at this point. Super depressed. Yeah, very depressed. And two years pass before our next queen comes into play. Your favorite, my favorite one, Anne of Cleves. I think Jane Seymour made the best choice for herself by dying in childbirth. <laughs> Sam! What? She didn't choose to die in childbirth. That some people of the time might say. Well, I... They do- don't know how childbirthing works. It was two days and three nights. No one would choose that. No one would choose that. Even if you were married to Henry VIII... Probably. She knew. She was like, this is my swan song. I got to get out. (laughs) (laughs) What if she didn't die? And actually she, she was like replaced by, you know, like a doppelganger and like people in the court, like got her out. (gasps) 
and she actually oh went on to live like a normal life. I hope that did happen to her. She was Sad like, she Here's left her child. A male oh. heir. Yeah. But like goodbye. Yeah. And good luck. Whatever. Maybe. Maybe. <laughs> good luck and don't fuck it up. Yeah. In the words of one RuPaul. <laughs> he doesn't say good luck. No. <laughs> <laughs> he just says don't fuck it up. <laughs> gosh okay, okay. well so. anyway so i hope that made sense and caught you up to where we are now which is with anne of cleves that's right wife number four number four so anne of cleves uh was born in 1515 in dusseldorf she was german um she was the daughter of john the third who was the duke of cleves and then maria of julikberg um and her family was a pretty prominent protestant german family except interestingly her mother was like a staunch catholic Hmm. but yeah but everyone else was protestant um her brother william was a leader of the protestant movement in western germany and that was part of how the alliance with henry was sort of hatched um but before all of that she was actually betrothed to someone else um and that was francis who was the son of the duke of lorraine Oh, and um, they were engaged in 1527 when she was 11 and he was nine. Wow. Um, but the marriage never went through. Um, I couldn't really find any reason why, because they were engaged for like almost 10 years. <laughs> like it was a really long time. They were engaged until eight or 1535. <laughs> And it just didn't happen. Their families considered it to be, like, unofficial, and it was just canceled. Hmm. But for whatever reason, it didn't go through. Maybe they just <sighs> – negotiations didn't work out. They I, Neither one could get what they wanted. I guess so. I, I don't know if, if religion played a part since France is a Catholic country right. at this time. Um But, yeah, for whatever reason, it just didn't work out. Mm. And um, Francis went on to marry Princess Christine of Denmark in 1541. But by that point, Anne of Cleves had already married Henry. Um, So I don't know. But Henry would use that later as part of his excuse to divorce Anne of Cleves, obviously. Any excuse. Any. Oh, for him, it was like any excuse. She has hair. (laughs) Anything. Yeah. So anyway, let's jump ahead a little bit to Henry. Um, So this is two years after uh, Jane Seymour died. So we're in 1539. He is still very depressed over the whole thing, but he's starting to move on. And his advisors are telling him that he needs Protestant allies because he needs protection from the Holy Roman Empire and Mm -hmm. from France. Mm -hmm. So Thomas Cromwell is like kind of pushing him to make another match and he suggests (laughs) either Anne of Cleves or her sister Amalia of Cleves. Um, And Henry's willing to entertain the idea, um, but he needs picks. (laughs) So Preferably nudes. Preferably nudes. I don't think he got nudes. Yeah, I don't, they probably didn't do that at the um, time. No. Nudes would be like, I'm wearing four layers of clothes instead of seven. Sure, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> nudes. Nudes. Um, so he sends, um, 
his official court portrait artist, mm-hmm. which is um, Hans Holbein the Younger. Mm-hmm. And um, he's the one who painted most of the portraits we've looked at earlier in part one. Mm-hmm. Um, he also painted that super famous portrait of Henry where he's like standing with the calves. And... That's our uh, episode announcement photo. Yeah. So if, <laughs> if you've listened to the episode, you've probably seen. That's the original painting. Yeah. He painted the guitar. Yeah. <laughs> all of it mm-hmm. <laughs> um but he painted most of the court <laughs> portraits for henry's court so he sends him um to germany to paint both sisters so that henry can look at the portraits and decide who's hotter so he knows who to marry wow you know like you do yeah <laughs> i mean that is that's tinder i mean yeah like <laughs> i'm not saying that henry the eighth invented tinder but i am saying <laughs> That he, it's more likely that he invented Tinder than it is that he wrote Green Sleeves. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, that's what he should kind of be trying to take credit for. Uh, <laughs> mm-hmm. So he sends Holbein over to Germany to paint these portraits. And he specifically tells him, like, do not flatter these women in your portrait. I want to know exactly what they look like. Because back then, it's like, you know, all portraits were basically photoshopped. Like, the portrait artist is painting you to look, like, super flattering. Those poor portrait artists were like, oh, what am I going to do with this guy or <laughs> gal or whatever? Right. And it's like, God, they must have been walking such a fine line of like I need it to look like them but I also need it to look the way that they want me to paint them and like I would be like drenched in sweat trying to paint this portrait of anyone do you think that those are Henry's real calves because I I have questions we'll never know those (laughs) details are lost to history I mean it helps that people in his court were like Henry's calves could get it (laughs) like we have written documentation there is a lot of substantiating that yeah also um Anne Boleyn's body was exhumed at at some point and they found that her bone structure was like fairly petite and like um just like like tiny and small so they assumed that she was probably a pretty like slender person and she did not have a sixth finger did you hear of this <gasps> oh my like, god rumor that she I had a sixth finger i forgot about that rumor yeah, but i did she hear didn't that. yeah that was made up like later on after she died well of course it was by some jerk because yeah like 90 percent of the things we think we know about Amberlynn yeah were made up right <laughs> anyway <laughs> so um He's like, don't paint a flattering portrait. Make it real. Yeah. And um, he's like, invent photography if you can. Like, whatever you need to do so that I know what these sisters look like. So he goes, he paints the portraits. He comes back and presents them to Henry. And um, ultimately, Henry chooses Anne based on the pictures probably alone but also there's some speculation that he just went with Anne because she was the older one so she was kind of poised to inherit more oh okay which would make sense too. yeah yeah it seems logical yeah um what's interesting about this portrait that he paints um is it's a straight on picture of her face yeah and so's <sighs> the one he does of Amalia um, where all the other portraits of Henry's queens are on like an angle. Yeah. This is just straight on. Um, I know. It's really which, bizarre. You don't usually see that in, in in early portraiture at all. You don't. It's really striking. 
Uh, I think it's a beautiful portrait, actually. Um, she's wearing more traditional German dress rather than like the English or French styles that we've seen before. Um, the hood style is a little different than the English or the French hood. Um, still sumptuous fabrics. Um, she's wearing um, like a red velvet dress with orange, looks like maybe silk taffeta trim mm -hmm. um, with white lace as well. Um, and she has like less elaborate jewelry and embroidery than Jane Seymour, but the color scheme is so similar to Jane Seymour's portrait. Yeah. Um, with like all the golds and reds. Huh. So I kind of thought that was interesting. I, I don't know if that if was, was intentional like, or not. I love that picture of, of Jane. You could be my new Jane. I mean, surely she had seen the portrait of Jane Seymour right. and knew that was his previous wife and was like probably choosing her outfit thinking what would be like pleasing to him. Even mm -hmm. though she did dress in the more German style still. I think she looks pretty cute. I, I think she looks really cute. <laughs> um, I love the portrait. Um, but I'm like wondering like if this is the idealized version of her, then what did she really look like? Well, this seems so realistic. I know. And like, it's, I mean, we'll get into this in a moment, but it's interesting because, you know, Henry goes on to accuse Holbein of doing too <laughs> flattering of a portrait. Right. And then that's kind of how she's remembered in all accounts. I but know. looking back, like historians generally seem to feel that this was a very accurate portrait of her and that it was not overly flattering. Yeah. So they probably he probably just wanted to blame it on somebody. Oh know, yeah. As and he, as he did often. And yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll jump right into that. Um but ultimately, for better or for worse, Henry chooses Anne based on her portrait, and she goes on to become probably the most iconic mail-order bride of all time. Uh, <laughs> so they went ahead and signed the marriage So he treaty. invented that, too. Yeah, he invented mail-order brides. No, she can't have been the first, because like, this yeah, kind of thing happened with royal yeah. brides a lot. I and they mean, didn't even see each other at all, not even like a portrait, maybe. Right. I mean, it's like, like, it's a lot that he even asked for a portrait. Yeah. I do think he invented Tinder. I don't think he invented mail order brides, but you can't deny that Anne of Cleves was one. <laughs> right. Uh, <laughs> um, so they went ahead and signed the marriage treaty on October 4th, 1539. Um, and then Anne began her journey to England. And this was not uncommon for royal brides to be like legally married before you traveled to your right. new country, just so you would have those extra protections as you were um, yeah, on the like, road. Don't mess with me. Right. I'm the wife of King Henry. Right. Um, so finally, Henry met her in person. Um, he had a private meeting with her on January 1st, 1540. Ooh. And this is like wild. So buckle up. Um, <laughs> I think I know where you're going. <laughs> so Henry, he, instead of just like introducing himself and being like, hi, I'm Henry. Like he can't do that because no. that's too basic. Yeah. He's Henry VIII. And, <laughs> and he was, because she was a mail order bride, he was robbed of the opportunity to like woo her at court like he did with all of his other wives. Mm -hmm. So I think he felt like he missed that. Yeah. So he goes up to her chambers in disguise <laughs> so that she doesn't know it's him. Wow. Which like, I can't tell if this kind of like, behavior <laughs> was common at the time or not. Something because, tells me no. <laughs> well, you see it all the time in Shakespeare. 
which is but not Shakespeare too, is like much later. Not that much later. I mean, Elizabeth the first was a patron of Shakespeare's, so it's not like that much later after this. And a lot of his plays were like histories and based on stuff from like the recent past. So. Like, it happens so much in Shakespeare where guys are like, let's get in disguise and, like, <laughs> sneak up on these women that we like. And it's like, that must be a trope from something. Yeah. I don't think that Henry VIII invented it, but he probably said he did. Who knows? <laughs> for better or for worse, he and his friends, like, dress up in disguises and they go into her chambers. She's, like, looking out the window, like, minding her own business. And he just comes up to her and starts kissing her. Oh, God. And she's, like, okay, like, cool. And just kind of goes back to what she's doing because she doesn't realize that it's him. Because he's in disguise specifically so that she won't realize that it's him. Yeah. But he is, like, offended and disappointed that she doesn't know it's him even though he's in disguise and he's like disappointed by her reaction yeah so he leaves he goes into the next room he puts on like i kid you not a purple velvet cloak so that they'll know he's the king oh my god and then walks back in and is like it's me and it was me the whole time and she's like What's the matter with you? That's exactly what she does. <laughs> and Why would you do that she's to like, me? Okay. Well, and then, you know, she's more reverent and like, oh, right. your majesty or whatever. And that's the first time you go to a foreign land and like, that's how they, like, that's how you're greeted. You're going to be so weirded out. Well, she's weirded out, but she, you know, she tries to recover. She tries to like act the way she's supposed to act. Like when she realizes it's him and you know, I'm yeah. so sorry, like, you're so handsome, whatever. <laughs> At that point, it's already too fucking late. I know. Like, from, <laughs> he already decided from that moment, he's like, it's over for me and Anne of Cleves. <laughs> she did not get me the reaction that I anticipated or expected, and I'm disappointed. He's like, she doesn't get me. Yeah. Like, if you don't get this, then you don't get me. It was a test. And she failed. Poor Anne. Poor Anne. <laughs> so, yeah, for him, it's already over. And he goes to Thomas Cromwell and he's like, this woman is ugly. She doesn't look like her portrait. <laughs> she has failed to inspire me to consummate this marriage. And we need to cancel. <laughs> and Thomas Cromwell's like, well, you can't do that. Because then the Protestants are going to be really angry at you. And, like, you're going to fuck up this alliance that you really need. And yeah. Henry is furious. <laughs> at, like, and Cromwell, like, falls out of his favor completely. Yeah. Which is so crazy. Like, he had so much influence before. I mean, Anne Boleyn tried to take him down and couldn't. Nope. But Anne of Cleves being too ugly was the downfall of Thomas Cromwell. Mm -hmm. Like, Wow. Or too ugly when really just not impressed enough by his, like, weird disguise, question mark. <laughs> anyway, their official meeting was two days later. They had, like, a grand reception. Henry was already over it, already asking for, like, these reasons to cancel. Um, and then they were married a couple days later on January 6th. Um, so all this happens in five days. Jeez. Um... And it only officially happens in, like, 
four days because right. their official meeting was two days right. after the the affair of the costume bullshit. <laughs> so, so don't ever do that to anybody. Don't do that. Like, don't. <laughs> Like, PSA, don't set up weird, like, tests or traps for your partner because it's not going to end well for yeah. anyone. And they it's... don't know what to what you want. They no. don't know. They can't read your mind about your expectations. No. It's not. That's not healthy. It's not fair. Or fair or cute. No. No. I'm not into it. So they get married on the 6th. Henry never consummates the marriage. Um, but Anne is, like, so sweet. She just, like, takes it all in stride. People are like, how's your marriage with Henry? She's like, he's so kind. Like, he's so gentle and kind to me. You know, like, he never bothers me with sex. (laughs) He just, like, says good morning to me and then, like, good night. And, like, it's really nice. And she's having, like, a pretty good time. (laughs) Like, no one's bothering her. She's just, like, cool. Then, you know, meanwhile, behind the scenes, Henry's, like, desperately searching for ways to divorce her. Um, You know, like, the meme with the guy with, like, the chart and he's, like, explaining, like, the conspiracy theory. Like, that's Henry with his map of ways to, like, annul his marriage to Anne Cleves. He's like, I need out, um, but I don't want to, like, fuck up this alliance. The amount of, like, bureaucratic acrobatics that are done to, like, please Henry and his penis are, like... (laughs) unreal it's unmatched it's absolutely wild um but then it this time it actually ends up being pretty easy for henry yeah he so he forces her to leave court on june 24th 1540 so about six months after their marriage she's like okay she goes (laughs) then a couple days later henry asks her for an annulment she says, no problemo, signs the contract that same day, like, no problems here, right. happy to annul, yeah. like, my kind husband, whatever you need, like, <laughs> sure, no problem. I don't need to be the queen, whatever. Um, and that's the end of their marriage. Henry is so grateful to Anne of Cleves and so mad at Thomas Cromwell. <laughs> He has Thomas Cromwell arrested for treason and executed. Yeah. So that's the end of him. Can't believe he made it all the way through the Anne Boleyn stuff and then like And he's this just taking little down sweet woman from Germany is like She crushes him yeah. with her and alleged she's ugliness. Like, she's like, I didn't even know. Right. Like there's no way she even knew. <laughs> like this man died on her behalf. She's like, who? Yeah. <laughs> she's like, oh, he sounds nice. <laughs> she's so she's too pure for this world henry's so (laughs) grateful so yeah the marriage is annulled on july 9th no problem the grounds were non-consummation but he also threw in just as an extra like you know you were engaged before that one time she's like yeah i was like that's a good point (laughs) (laughs) this is the smartest tack that she could have taken there was no way she could win this and like, oh my what God. for? She's a mastermind. Yeah. So Henry's so grateful that he gives her multiple castles and properties, <laughs> including the Boleyn's old seat, Hever Castle. Yeah. <laughs> Amazing. Um, they become good friends yeah. and they 
they're like best friends they, like, for the rest out. of his life. They like hang out. She's not officially in court anymore because she's not the queen, but she's mm-hmm. invited to visit court all the time. And her official title from this moment on is the king's beloved sister. Yeah. So she's still like a senior member of the royal family and she's given precedence over all other women in England apart from any like future wives Henry would have and children. Yeah. Like daughters. Yeah, yeah. Um, and that's that. Amazing. She lives comfortably in England for the rest of her life. She does miss home, but she has like a good life. She has a close relationship with both Mary and Elizabeth. Oh, wow. Um, She, like, writes to them. Um, She goes to court a lot. She has a great time. And she never has to remarry. Amazing. And that's the story of Anne of Cleves. That is the life. I mean, she's she's a genius. Yeah. And all she had to do was just be like, Okay. Sure. (laughs) Like, you want to divorce me? Fine. Like, and he was so (laughs) grateful. Wow. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that is, that's the way you do Henry VIII. <laughs> yeah. So, like, you want to talk about your, your ranking of women who managed him the best? Like, Anne of Cleves. Um, I would, okay, I would only argue that that was extreme passivity. Which was the correct tactic. Yeah, but you wouldn't have been able to do that if he was interested yeah, that's true. I mean, it was very lucky for her. Right. But so her situation, that was the best and really only tactic she had, and it worked out for her, which is yeah. fantastic. I mean But I don't think it would have worked with, with some of the other No like some of the it, other wives. Well, like this next wife that he was obsessed with. It, she wouldn't have been able to pull that off. No. Um should we dive into Catherine Howard? Yeah. All right. Party girl. Party girl Catherine Howard. So she was born in 1521. Um, she was the daughter of Lord Edmund Howard and Joyce Culpepper. So this is Henry going back again from not a foreign princess to just marrying in the English gentry. Um <laughs> Her mother died around 1528, so when she was about five years old, and Catherine and her siblings were sent to live with her dad's stepmother, which was the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk. And this was, like, pretty common at the time for basically, like, noble, um, aristocratic children, um, but who maybe have parents who are poor, Okay. So they're, like, high class, but they're not wealthy. Yeah. Um, and the Dowager Duchess of Norfolk had, like, several large households that she basically just, like, filled with these children that were, like, aristocratic but might not have anywhere to go. Mm-hmm. Um, notably, Catherine Howard's dad didn't die, just her mom, but he was like, I'm just going to ship all my kids <laughs> off to, like, my stepmom's house. <laughs> like, I don't want to deal with it. Right. So she's – it's, like – not an orphanage, but it's kind of that, like, vibe. Basically an orphanage. Um, Who takes care of them? Great question. The answer is basically no one. Oh. I mean, there's, like, almost no supervision at all. And you've got all these young, like, aristocratic kids living in this big house together. So, obviously, Ugh. there's a lot of partying. It's like Lords of Lord of the Flies. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> but everyone's a lord. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> 
but everyone's the Lord. Yeah. And yeah, there's tons of partying. I mean, she, she like rooms with like some older girls and there's like drinking and like men coming to visit and like this is where she becomes like a party animal, yeah. which who wouldn't? No rules. No rules, no grown-ups, very light supervision, very light education. <laughs> yeah. Um. So she starts taking music lessons around 1536 so she's about 13 years old at this point um and unfortunately this is where her story takes like not as good of a turn um her music teacher is named henry mannix and he's like in his mid-30s and he starts grooming her and like abusing her it's not a good situation um later in life when she is going through her adultery inquisition. Um, she confesses that Mannix had molested her during this time. It's not good. Yeah. Because she's like a little girl. Mm-hmm. Um, she finally managed to cut off ties with him about two years later in 1538. And around this time, she starts a relationship with Francis Derham, Um, And he was a secretary to the Dowager Duchess. And they were very close. They wrote letters to each other. There's like... Big question mark later in her life as to whether or not this relationship was consummated at all. Right. Um, but either way, they're very close. They wanted to marry. Um, and then finally in 1539, the Dowager Duchess, like, finds out what's happening and she forces them to break it off. Hmm. Um, and that's kind of the end of that relationship for the two of them. And pretty shortly after, um, Catherine's uncle, the Duke of Norfolk... Um, sets up a job for her at court to be a lady-in-waiting to Anne of Cleves. So this is when Catherine goes to court. um, And the Duke of Norfolk, like, kind of arranged this whole thing. And he really saw it as, like, an opportunity for their family, um, seeing that the marriage with Anne of Cleves was probably on the way out and that he would be looking for a new wife. Wow. He's like, let me send my, like, really cute teenage niece to court Mm -hmm. and try to get some political influence here. Because remember, Catherine Howard is the first cousin to Anne Boleyn. Right. So their family had seen a bit of a rise during Anne Boleyn's time. Right. So they were hoping to see that again, but then maybe even more so um, if the king ended up being interested in Catherine Howard. And sure enough, <laughs> Henry takes the bait. He's like, yes, yeah. like, love this for me. Uh, <laughs> How old is she at this point? Um, when they're married, she's 17 and he's 40. Wow. Yeah. Um, uh, he loves it. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's poor Catherine. Like, she's gone through so much at this point. She's so young. Jeez. Um. So, uh, Henry, yeah, was very into her. He immediately starts giving her lots of land, expensive fabrics. Like, she actually is kind of, like, living her best life, and she does enjoy, like, the many perks of being in his favor. Yeah. Um, so it's not all bad for her. So they get married on July 28th, 1540, um, the same day that, Cromwell is executed. Wow. <laughs> like Henry has no tact. He's like, I'm not only am I not going to that execution, I'm scheduling my next wedding for the same day. Like, I'm busy. Yeah. I think because he wanted to be like, ooh, I can't make it. Yeah, sorry. I'm doing something else. I have plans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. 
So then Queen Catherine part two, part two is here. Yeah. <laughs> um, she is living her best life. She has a great time. Some of her interests are parties. <laughs> um, she loves dogs. Mm-hmm. Fashion. Mm-hmm. She is joyful. She's carefree. She is like cute. Like everyone's loving it, <laughs> including her. <laughs> Um, and this is around the time that she has a couple portraits painted. So there's actually two portraits of her that I wanted to dive into. One is a miniature of her that is usually the first one that comes up. Um, and it, again, is pretty similar to that same color scheme as, um, what we saw with Anne of Cleves' portrait and, uh, with Jane Seymour with a lot of, like, the warm gold tones. Mm-hmm. She wears a gold silk gown with it looks like maybe there's like a fur cloak around her. Yeah. Um, she's wearing the French hood, mm-hmm. which is notable because um, it had been the English style up until this point. But right. Catherine Howard loved French fashion. So she brought back that look from Anne Boleyn's day. Um, so you can see her auburn hair showing through the French hood. She has lots of jewels and embellishments on her <laughs> gown. Um, but not seeing a ton of needlework in this portrait of her. I think the main thing that strikes me about this is that she just looks very young and like very beautiful. Um, the portrait that I prefer of her, which Uh I love, um, is her in this black velvet gown, um, with a collar that Uh has white silk lining. Are you looking at it? Oh yeah. It's so good. Um, so it's this black velvet gown with the white silk lining. It has this beautiful embroidered tree- trim going up and down the sleeves. Yeah, it's awesome. Um, which is just spectacular. And there's black work again on the chemise cuffs. Right. But it's a little bit simpler than what we saw in Jane Seymour. It's actually a rose design. Right. And it's like just kind of the outline of the roses. And it's a little less detailed, but it's it's yeah, so beautiful. Yeah, it's not as like geometric. Yeah. Um, it's really cool. It's very fashion forward. I mean, her look in this is is definitely more in the direction of the way fashion was moving at this time mm-hmm. rather than in the miniature where she's maybe wearing a style that would be considered more traditional at this point. Right, with like the square neckline and mm-hmm. stuff. Um, but to me, it looks like she's maybe trying to look a little older yeah. or more regal. Yeah, definitely. She's like, it's like she's in dress up. Yeah. Yeah. It, yeah, it looks or like Or they she's... like wrestled her into these clothes. They were like, you're wearing this for the portrait. Right, right. <laughs> I mean, I think she probably did. I think she probably did choose it because it is very fashion forward. But yeah, it looks like she's trying to present herself as like Henry's equal and as like his peer. Mm. But she's not. No. Like she's a little girl. Like not even close. Um, yeah, I, <laughs> I think that portrait of her is so charming. Sorry, Catherine. <laughs> um, but unfortunately, her happiness is not very long lived. Um, Henry was kind of waiting until she gave him an heir to have a coronation for her. Mm, wow, and she sneaky. wasn't getting pregnant. Um, so the coronation was kind of like getting put off. There was also the plague going on at this time. Oh, God. I know. And like, you know, there there was like the excuse floating I around mean, of like, oh, we can't have a coronation because of the plague. But like, he probably still could have. Yeah. Just wouldn't be. He probably would have. Open to the public. Um, I mean, he still had a wedding, right? And we've learned during this time, like, you know, the the cost potentially of having a big wedding during a p- 
pandemic. That's right. Uh, <laughs> I guess things don't really change too much. So they still did that, but he was like, we need to put off the coronation, <laughs> a.k.a. until you give me a male heir. Yeah, so get pregnant. Um, and she, during this time, um, it's extremely likely that she's having an affair with Thomas Culpepper, Ooh. who was her distant cousin. I was going to say, isn't that part of her family? Yeah, her mom's last name is Culpepper. Jeez. Yeah. I mean, everyone's Catherine. related. But yeah, he's like her cousin. What really makes this sting more for Henry is that Culpepper is like his best friend. Oh, he's, God. Yeah, he's like a very beloved courtier to Henry. So this really, this is a bitter pill for Henry to take. <laughs> To say the least. Um, that is dumb. They, yeah, they, do. well, they wrote each other these love letters and like, <laughs> oh my gosh, I wish I wrote in my notes what he called her in the love letters, but he, he basically calls her dumb. He's like, my beautiful little dummy, like. <laughs> Culpepper or Henry? Culpepper. When he's writing to her, I mean, it's like very obviously love letters and, you know, he's like, oh, my sweet summer child. <laughs> um. So they're, like, engaging with all this. The Boleyns may come back into play here because mm-hmm. Jane Boleyn, so the widow of um, Anne's brother, George Boleyn, um, was allegedly helping arrange their, like, secret meetings. Because did George Boleyn? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he got Oh, well, he was, he was beheaded during Anne's trials. Right. Yeah. Because he, it was... She was accused of incest. Right. So that's why she's a widow. Yep. That's why. It's not funny. It's just sad. No, it's awful. Yeah. Um, <laughs> so anyway, she may or may not be helping the new queen with adultery. Wow. Um, so. <laughs> to like, to what purpose, though? I, I don't really know. Like, she was, I mean, she was one of the ladies to her. So maybe trying to help her, maybe trying to take her down. Right. She is her cousin, so, it, but it's difficult to say. Yeah. Um, so, an unofficial investigation is started into Catherine's behavior. And this is mostly orchestrated by her family's political enemies. Because this is a case where, like, the Norfolks really are trying to pull the strings and are trying to, like, emulate what the Boleyns were able to do during right. Anne's time. And the enemies of the Norfolks are, like, trying to take down Catherine. Like... In she's one queen where you could look at her and say like she was a pawn, potentially. Oh yeah, yeah. Like I'm sure she was. I mean, she's so young. She was so young. I think a lot of the other queens had a little more agency, right? And I think this whole thing was like very much orchestrated Mm -hmm. by her family. And yeah, I mean, she's just excited like getting presents and like being able to do whatever she wants. Wow, a puppy, a new gown, like yeah, great. Oh, I'm gonna have a boyfriend too. Like cool. Well, no one had told um, her to stop when she was in uh Right, like you can't in that she wasn't raised house. by yeah. anyone. She just she was grew raised up. by a pack of wild aristocrats. Right. <laughs> so yeah, they you know, it was very easy for them to take her down. Like they started spying on her, like making notes of her activities, um, and then <laughs> they so can you imagine like someone like with a little quill and like piece of paper (laughs) behind the corner just like scratch 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 yeah (laughs) but he also has like binoculars yeah (laughs) like that don't exist yeah i guess spy glasses did yeah like yeah yeah, little opera glasses or something (laughs) like hmm 
<laughs> she's right she's like right in front of him and he's like right there like yeah <laughs> with the glass she's like hi <laughs> i'm going to see my boyfriend right now Interesting. and he's like mm-hmm. <laughs> make a note of that <laughs> so henry gets like ambushed with a letter after like all these like secret investigations go Jeez. down and the letter says like guess what <laughs> Catherine howard is cheating on you with maybe multiple men it's not gonna end well here we go again yeah so um henry has her arrested and he starts looking for proof that she had slept with durham before the marriage to him so that he can have her marriage annulled because yeah. what's interesting about this is like you know when these allegations came out about anne boleyn he was very like let's burn her <laughs> And then yes. when he showed mercy, it's like, okay, we'll just behead her. But I, he, like, really clearly had a soft spot for Catherine Howard. And he was like, I don't want to behead her if I don't have to. He was like, I was young and dumb once, too. Right. Oh, I really think that he was so nasty to Anne Boleyn because he had just suffered that defeat in the joust and had just gotten that yeah. injury. And he was, like, pissed at the world and was like, you're going to, like, you're gonna i'm gonna blame you for all these things i don't have a male heir my legs fucked up like he needed someone to blame yeah he wanted to burn her right like it's it's next level but he doesn't feel that way about Catherine howard and he starts investigating i mean obviously he wants to know what happened but i think he also is kind of looking for a reason not to execute her yeah and if it comes out that you know that wasn't the case and that she was like a virgin or that she wasn't a virgin when she married him then he could just like exile her and leave her like penniless and on the streets Mm -hmm. which isn't great either but Mm -mm. potentially better than a beheading right so um he is digging for this proof um in the meantime he does strip her of her title as queen and because he knows you know the marriage is gonna end one way or another really it's just a matter of time to see which one it is so she's stripped of her title and he just goes ahead and executes durham and culpepper um on december 10th 1541 Um, He's like, you're out. I don't know what you did, but something. You did something. Well, (laughs) next he proceeds to kill a lot of Howards. Oh, God. Like, he just, like, starts arresting her whole family and, like, killing them all. And he becomes very depressed, as you might imagine he would. He, like, really sinks into a very dark place. Mm. And he deals with it by killing a lot of people. (laughs) Um, Then, fortunately for Henry, just a couple months later... Um, in February of 1542, Parliament goes ahead and they introduce a bill written, like, just for Catherine Howard, where they make it illegal for her not to have disclosed her sexual history before marriage and also make it illegal for her to incite someone to commit adultery with her. And, like, they, like, write this bill specifically so that Catherine is, like, unequivocally guilty um because they're like this investigation needs to stop we need a resolution to this so we're just going to create a new law specifically for you that makes you super guilty um and because this law was so like specific they didn't even need a trial they just cleared the way for him to go ahead and execute her so she was beheaded on february 13th 1542 and that's the story of Catherine howard damn (laughs) Yeah. The party ended. 
the party ended not not well. I hope she went to the guillotine like wasted. Um, me too, but I don't think she did. (laughs) I don't think that that's how that went for her. Unfortunately, (laughs) they did send an actual like sword guy to execute her, like with Anne Boleyn. So it was just like one strike. That's right. They wouldn't have the guillotine here, and they they would they would sit. They would be on their knees, but upright. Yeah. Yeah. I don't think the guillotine was actually invented yet at this point. French Revolution. I mean, it's invented before that, but it's after this. Okay. Yeah. They were like, we need a more efficient method. How can we kill as many people (laughs) as quickly as possible? (laughs) Ugh, this is grim. Yeah, but for Catherine, it was a little more dignified. Well, at least she had that. Yeah. Um, so I have the last Catherine. Yeah. Catherine uh, part three. Oh, Catherine I'm, part three. I'm turning the page on my notes like I have notes on her, but I don't because you researched her. <laughs> I did. And she was definitely one of the less exciting people to research until you dropped that horrible nugget of information I'm on me. Sorry. No, it needs to be talked it, about. I didn't yeah. know about it. And that's not certainly not how she was portrayed. Um, So Catherine Parr married Henry in 1543. Um, She was uh, twice widowed before she consented to marry him. So she had gone down the marriage road before and whatever. Honestly, I couldn't find where or how they met. Like, her story just started with, like, and then she married Henry. Weird. She was married before, and then she married Henry. So I'm assuming she was just, like, in the court, floating around. Yeah. And Henry was like, you are fine. She was probably a lady-in-waiting to, like, all five previous queens. I think she she <laughs> certainly was a lady-in-waiting to, to at least some of, some of them. And because she had already been married to, like, court noble people before, and she came from, like, a noble family, mm-hmm. like, she was just, like, around. She wasn't young. She was, like, definitely the oldest of of henry's wives Mm -hmm. um when he married her uh but she was in love with another man um thomas seymour and brother to jane seymour yeah brother to jane seymour and she I guess that they were they were maybe discussing getting betrothed or there that was like on the table but Henry, like, made his suit, and she was like, I'm not going to piss him off because I know what happens when he gets pissed. Mm-hmm. And I am going to, you know, let's p- put a pin in this relationship. Like, he's probably not going to last very long. I'm just going to marry him, and then we'll see what happens. Mm-hmm. So Henry was, like, extremely ill by by this time. Um, he wa- was super gouty, like – just not he was not well yeah um probably driven like mad with pain because of his leg ulcers and they like i said before they often got infected so the infections would be very smelly and probably some of the um treatments for those infections were also smelly because the medicine at the time was not good (laughs) so who knows what they put on it but it was probably at the very least not killing the bacteria i mean maybe it wasn't making it worse but it probably wasn't really making it any better Mm -hmm. um 
And like we talked about, we don't want to fat shame anybody. Mm -hmm. All bodies are beautiful. But he started out as a very slim and slender person in life and was extremely athletic. But because of his injuries and his illnesses, he ended up gaining a lot of weight. And it was said that he weighed approximately 400 pounds at this time in his life. So it was would probably have been very difficult for him to even get around. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of these things combined would make him, like, really hard to deal with. He was extremely irritable, like – just short-tempered like he was not he wasn't the fun king anymore and he was definitely really sensitive he still only had this one male heir who I don't think Edward was like the pinnacle of like health and wellness like I think he well, was yeah, I mean, pretty he, sickly he died as like a teenager yeah he yeah he didn't spoiler spoiler <laughs> like, alert <sorry. laughs> um, but uh, actually, in 1544, he kind of rallied, and uh, Henry went off to France to try and, like, war with them again. Wow. <laughs> Honestly, good for him. <laughs> like, like, he was like, I got to get out of the house. Yeah. Um, got to do something. I, I, that Put yourself out there. <laughs> didn't go well. Oh, no. But, like, um, he left Catherine as queen regent. And she just, like, handled stuff while he was away. Like, she had a pretty much, like, solid set of advisors who were either part of her family or, like, allies to her family. So nobody really stood in her way. So everything was run, like, very smoothly. And she just, like, took care of business. So um, one of the most interesting things that I could find that she did that was positive (laughs) um, (laughs) – She was the first English queen to write and publish her own books. So in 1543, she anonymously published Psalms or Prayers. Then in 1545, she published Prayers and Meditation, and that was under her own name, which was the first time anyone, any queen had ever done that. And then in 1547, she published another book under her own name called Lamentations of a Sinner, which was like really well received. But the thing was that it seemed like she would associate it as being a Catholic, and that was how she was raised. But she seemed to be extremely sympathetic to Protestantism, and um, a lot of people, like, didn't like that. Like, they it rubbed them the wrong way. Mm. And it did uh, – some of them did try to, like, get her out of the queen role <laughs> because of that. Um like, they literally tried to get her arrested wow. and, like, tell Henry, like, oh, do you know she's saying all these things that are sympathetic to Protestants and, like, which is weird because, like, he's the church of, he's the head of the Church of England and, yeah, yeah it's, like, a little like, confusing to me. Maybe somebody who's more well-versed in that, the religious side of history could, could explain it better like why people would be so upset or why Henry would be upset. I mean, he did live in like a fantasy world where he was still a Catholic, even though Rome <laughs> was like, you're excommunicated. Like the Pope literally was like, bye, see you later. What a mess. Um, but he was just like, I'm still a Catholic. You can't tell me. And it's like, mm, when the Pope tells you that you're not a part <laughs> of the club anymore, maybe you're not. But <laughs> I, I don't know. Who knows? I wasn't there. Um, so she kind of like, handled that whole situation as best as she could. She 
basically went to Henry, like she tried to get ahead of it and like went to him and was like, you know that I argue with you about religion because I want to take your mind off the pain in your leg, right? Like these are just theoretical conversations that we have. Like she played devil's advocate. Interesting. So she was actually able to circumvent like getting deposed by this faction by going to Henry first and like convincing him that that was the reason why she did it. Wow. And she probably did do that and they probably had really interesting conversations because he was an extremely intelligent man and like religion was a source of interest for him like theologically and that is I think one of the reasons why he was so attracted to Anne Boleyn and why their courtship went on for so long because they were able to have like really interesting discussions. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, so she was like no slouch. Like Catherine Parr like knew what was up and how to deal with things. She also was a huge advocate for Mary and Elizabeth and um, became like really close to them in in some ways not so good uh so she actually influenced the um third succession act in 1543 which restored mary and elizabeth to the line of succession after edward the sixth right so um jane seymour jane seymour's son would be first in line because he has a penis and then if he died then it would be mary and then it would be elizabeth Mm -hmm. so That was kind of a big deal because Henry really, he didn't even have a relationship with Mary or Elizabeth until, like, Jane Seymour's, like, intervened and, like, there was just, like, he had, like, these weird relationships with his daughters Mm -hmm. that were not always great or positive. Um, Yeah, so Henry died in 1547 and that's all I have to say about that. And um, <laughs> <laughs> so she outlived him, which to me means she like won <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> like she's the last woman standing. She he like put in place for her. Well, Anne of Cleves was the last woman standing. Okay, Anne of Cleves also won because she made it out alive and, and she lived was longer than Catherine of. Well, also thank God for. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Fine. She was the and, last one right. <laughs> Anne of Cleves. <laughs> so back to Catherine. <laughs> she She was the last wife and she actually did wifey things. Yeah. She did do that. Um so <laughs> She went on to marry Thomas Seymour, the guy that she wanted to marry before. And six months later, only six months later, like after Henry had died, which is like, that wasn't, that was not cool. And people were very upset. Like Mm -hmm. everyone was upset about that. Even though Henry did that kind of thing like a hundred times. Well, it was not. I mean, he was a king and, you know, how could you do that? You're supposed to mourn him, blah, blah, blah. Meanwhile, he's getting married like the day after he murders somebody. Sometimes the the day of. Yeah, sometimes the day (laughs) of. So I don't know. But there's obviously a gigantic double standard. So um, she married Thomas Seymour and then had her first child at 35. Wow. Which is like ancient in that time. Yeah. I mean, even now it's like called a geriatric pregnancy. At 35? Yeah. 
It is. Um, we live in a messed up world. <laughs> it, yeah, we do. <laughs> so in 15, that was in 1548, and she died from childbed fever, which which probably, much like Jane Seymour, could have been like almost anything. An infection, right. it could have been like placenta that they left inside her. Like it could have been mm-hmm. anything. Um, but as you educated me, the worst thing about Catherine Parr is so bad that I liked her before and now I can't like her because there was a weird like love triangle thing between Elizabeth and Thomas Seymour and herself. And I say love triangle, but really what I mean is child molestation. Yeah. Which is terrible. Because Elizabeth went to live with Seymour and yeah. Catherine Parr after they were married. She was like a young, like 13-year-old like or something. Like their ward or something? Yeah, she. I think okay. she was their ward. Um, and they had a good relationship. Her and Catherine Parr had a good relationship. But Thomas Seymour was interested in her romantically, even though she was much, much younger. Yeah. And whatever happened, it's like hard to say what happened or how far it went. But clearly whatever happened was imp- inappropriate yeah. to happen to a child, let alone like I mean, any child, but, like, a princess should not have been put in that situation. Yeah. Every girl is a princess. If you've watched that movie. What movie? What's the movie where, like, she forgot she's a princess or something? She or like there's a guy in that an attic all the time. there's a guy in the attic and he was like injured and he's like a king or something like that i don't know and then there's a monkey and then there's like a feast what listeners if you know what movie this is hit us up <laughs> i don't know when i think of princesses that don't know they're a princess i think obviously mia thermopolis is my number one <laughs> go-to also, Rapunzel from Tangled. It's a little princess. Oh, <laughs> yeah, a little princess. <laughs> <laughs> yep. <laughs> anyway, Thomas Seymour is he, the worst. So, but here's we'll end on a on a good note. Thomas Seymour was beheaded for treason in 1549. So, and I wrote chop chop motherfucker. Well, thank goodness that someone who was beheaded in the story was actually bad. Yeah, he legit was bad. He tried to marry or put a suit towards Elizabeth I numerous times. And And they were like, stop, stop, stop. And he was like, I can't. And they were like, "Mm." chop, chop. And I hope they used a rusty axe. Me too. And they probably did because then Elizabeth obviously went on to be one of the most powerful monarchs of all time. Yeah. Also the Virgin Queen. Yeah. And the Fairy Queen. And the Fairy Queen. We'll talk about her. Yeah. She'll get her own episode at some point for sure. Yeah. Um, I mean, we could do a whole separate two-part episode just about like Henry's kids that became monarchs. True. And Jane Grey. And she, she whole, got thrown into that mix. There's a whole thing about Mary and Elizabeth. Oh, yeah. Talk about a sister feud. Wow. But, yeah, that's that's a whole nother yeah, episode. That's for another time. All right, what do we do now? We have to re-rank? Yeah, let's reassess. So I'm going to – let me pull up my ranking again. All right, so I had best to worst <laughs> – Anne of Cleves, Anne Boleyn, Catherine of Aragon, Jane Seymour, Catherine Howard, and then Catherine Parr. 
I would have to say, I think I stand by my original ranking. Wow. I think I do. I mean, well, Anne of Cleves is always going to be my number one. <laughs> There's almost nothing you could say that would take Anne of Cleves off my number one spot. Um, yeah, I, I think I stand by my original list. All right. I don't. I don't. I move some things around. All right. What's your new list? Okay. My new list is Anne Boleyn, Catherine of Aragon. Those are the same. Mm-hmm. Um, but then number wait the same as in their tide or the same no, oh they the were the same, same as yeah before. the same as before one and two okay and then number three is Anne of Cleves yes I'll take it number four <laughs> is Jane Seymour all right She's right in the middle of the pack number five is Catherine Howard mm-hmm. and number six is going to be Catherine Parr because I can't I can't support her even though she was the first published queen ever in it in England. All right. Interesting that we now have the same list, except that for me, Anne of Cleves gets bumped to the number one spot. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Are you less angry with me now? I am. I, now I feel that you've given my my team a fairer well, shot. I, I listened. I appreciate that. Clearly you didn't listen to mine. I did listen. I just already <laughs> thought that your two were like really good, and you agree. You have the same list. <laughs> oh my God. I know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, gosh. Well, this okay. was fun. Oh, wait. One more thing oh, that's yeah. really fun. Okay. So do you know this? There's a rhyme to remember what happened to the six wives. Oh, isn't it like um, like divorced, beheaded, dead, divorced, beheaded, dead? <laughs> no. It's so close, though. What is it? It's divorced, beheaded, died, divorced, beheaded, survived. Oh, well, yeah. Because Catherine Parr survived. Well, I thought the the second dead was because Henry was dead, but (laughs) yours makes a lot more sense. (laughs) Apparently, they teach that in England. I didn't learn that here, but I learned about it, and then I was like, "That's, that's fun. That is fun. Yeah. I mean, it's not fun for literally any of those women, except maybe Anne of Cleves. No. But they all probably had a little bit of, they all had fun at some point, I hope. Hmm. You know, being in his favor when things were good, getting yeah. jewelry, getting I, cloth. I mean, you can't deny that they got a lot of sumptuous gifts. Yeah. Having food, probably yeah. going to sick parties. And they, all of these women had it a lot better than like 99% of the people that lived during their time. Yeah. Even with different all the stress, but still stressful. Yeah. 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 And uh, yeah, that's the wives of King Henry VIII, folks. That's it. That's it. Subscribe to us on Spotify and our Instagram page and tell us we're great or that we're terrible. Whatever you feel like. Um, before we wrap up, should we do a quick craft corner? Oh, fa. Yeah. <laughs> You mean project corner, though? No, I mean craft corner. Mm, I'm going to stick in my project corner. So what's what's in your project corner? <laughs> uh, my project corner is forever going to be the Rosé Chante. Yeah. It's like really, I think it's creeping up onto getting work done, like maybe soon. All right. That's something. The fear is diminishing slightly. Do you feel that Henry VIII, has in any way inspired your vision for Chante Rosé? No, because Henry would never wear pink. He would look terrible in pink. 
Yeah. But I think he would like me in pink. Oh, yeah. Yeah. No, I think he would like you in pink. Mm -hmm. But maybe not in pink pants, because I think he was probably very traditional in that way. Really? I feel like he was a weirdo. I mean, I think he, <laughs> I think he would be like, you could get it, but you're not going to be a queen. Oh, yeah. I think he said that to everyone, though. <laughs> <laughs> what about you? What's what's in your uh, my in my craft corner? In your craft corner. Um, so I am working on Christmas gifts. So if you're in my immediate family, you can just sign off now. Um, <laughs> I'll I'll give you a moment to turn off the pod. All right, so if you're not in my immediate family, then you can know that I am doing small embroidery on um, my family's Christmas gifts. So I got them each like a little thing, and I'm I'm basically monogramming their initials onto it. That's great. Which I love is it. small, but it's fun to work on. And Oh, it makes it special. Yeah. yeah. I think it's just going to have that extra little thing to kind of make it customized. And- I agree. Oh, here's a shameless plug. If anyone needs like a gift that I made, uh, some of my artwork is being sold at Arch Enemy Gallery in Old City and you can buy it online through their website. So go do that. Yeah. (laughs) It's like incredible and perfect little like tiny pieces. Like, yeah. Yeah. 250 and under. And if you don't like any of my artwork, that's fine. There's other (laughs) artists that are there. Cool. <laughs>